Welcome to the Building Bilingual Families podcast, where we help families learn a second language at home, in their communities, and abroad. Today, we're with Rebecca Jordan, who has her PhD in Early Childhood Development, Special Education, and Literacy. She's an assistant professor at Appalachian University, and I am so excited to have her on the program with us. Welcome, Rebecca. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So, Rebecca, I'd love to just start out this conversation. Every person has a different reason why they want to try to build a bilingual family. Can you tell me what inspired you? Was there anything from your upbringing or in your background? I am originally from South Florida, from Miami, which is a highly bilingual community. And that experience really showed me that language is fluid. And I just loved the ability for people to transfer from one language to another. And so I knew that I wanted that for my daughter to be able to communicate and learn with from people all around the world. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your daughter and your family. Yeah, so I have a beautiful two-year-old who loves reading. You will find her pulling books off the shelf anytime, who loves dancing if she hears music, or sometimes when she doesn't hear any music, she feels the beat and she'll start to move it, move it. Um, she is She's funny and a joy, and she's really picking up both languages where she's learning Spanish um, simultaneously as she's learning English, and she's really picking up both languages beautifully. One thing that's unique about her is when she was first born, when she was one week old, she was diagnosed with a rare condition called phenylketonuria or PKU, which there is no cure for, but they've determined that the negative effects, which include um, severe intellectual disability, if undiagnosed or untreated, that those are um, limited are, are protected against if her diet is carefully controlled because what causes those is a buildup of something called phenylalanine, which is in all food sources except for water and sugar and pure fats. And so she eats a diet of fruits and vegetables and what we what are called medical foods, which are specifically made to be low in protein. So that way she can still enjoy rice and pasta and bread because those foods otherwise would be off the table for her. One of the reasons why I really want her to be bilingual, although I'm sure I'd be passionate about it regardless, is because of the, of the um, linguistic flexibility, of the cognitive flexibility that bilingualism brings along with it. The ability to navigate between languages, the ability to problem solve, the ability to, to efficiently understand that, that there are multiple paths to, to problem solve. All of those come with bilingualism. And so I see it as a buffer and protecting her brain and strengthening those muscles muscles to offset any negative side effects. That is amazing. Um, because here you are as a parent who has to give your daughter specific medical food, you know, for her to survive, but yet you as a literacy specialist with this amazing background in education know that there's a way to cognitively help her and that bilingualism is actually a tool that you can use for that. And, you know, I can only imagine like the overwhelm of having a diagnosis like that come your way. And, you know, still the perseverance that you've had of, I want to give my daughter all these different 
experiences, including that of bilingualism. So that's awesome. So tell me, you know, you said the cognitive flexibility that comes from learning a second language. What have you learned? What has shown that that will be helpful for your daughter and for other kids um, as they progress in their literacy and in their language development? You've probably seen the the popular Stroop test that comes through emails every once in a while where it has not it has color words written and that but they are written in a different color than than the word indicates. And so what research has shown us using this Stroop test is that people who are bilingual are more quickly, more efficiently able to read the word rather than saying the color or vice versa, whichever way the test is going in. Sometimes it asks you to do one task or the other uh, than, a, than an individual who is monolingual. For the theory goes, your brain is accustomed to receiving two forms of input and understanding that CASA is a house, that these are the same things, even though that they have different terms, for example. And so you're able to, to navigate this, this, this mental challenge Wow. That's awesome. I've never really thought about it as like navigating a mental challenge that way. Um, you know, so I had the experience, I worked for a startup company here locally and the, actually their premise was some research that came out of Stanford that showed that, um, the amount a child is spoken to from age zero to three actually is the highest indicator of their later on cognitive development, you know, it wasn't related to any other different, the only one that had the strong correlation was how much a child was spoken to. And so when you think about it, to have them being spoken to, but then also in two languages, how much more input that would give them and give them that like advancement later on that way. Um, Absolutely. A lot of times you'll hear people talk about the million word gap between children who are spoken to frequently and children who are who don't receive that same direct input from an adult or from a, from a, it could be another child as well as well but from a human not words heard from TV or radio but from another person exactly and i think that's one thing that i think can empower us as parents right like wow what i do with my child in these first few years of life is going to have a bigger impact than maybe actually most likely than what they do after they step onto that school bus, you know, to go to kindergarten. If I give them that input now, then that will help them later on. What if you could be speaking Spanish with your kids every day? What if it became a natural way of life rather than another chore to ditch? Well, I have the perfect tool for you to make it happen. It's the Speak Spanish Everyday Guide, and it helps parents from beginners to native speakers infuse more of the language into their homes, creating an immersive environment where you improve your vocabulary right alongside your kids. In the Speak Spanish Everyday Guide, I reveal some of my secret ingredients to keep language learning super fun and motivating. We give you hacks to help your kids start speaking back more in their second tongue and the guide is 100% free. Along with it, I give you four videos that will show you how to put the steps right into action. Get access to the guide in the link in the show notes or check it out at learnwithmelanguages.com. Now, I know a lot of parents wonder, 
you know, what about like confusion between the two languages? If I start speaking to my child in Spanish and English, or if they hear one thing at preschool, but I'm doing a different thing at home, can that mess up their language development? No, not at all. In fact, the opposite is true that, again, we'll come back to that idea of language fluidity, right? So if you've ever tried to learn a language as an older as an older child, as a teenager, I, I mean to say, or as an adult, then you under, you've had the experience of going, but why is it work like that? Like, that's not how language works because you, you're thinking in terms of my language, my first language, it functions this way. And so the expectation is that all other languages are going to function the same way, which isn't true. Languages have their own rules. However, uh, what the research shows us is that children who have been hearing multiple languages from birth, they have this idea of linguistic fluidity, that they don't question why for example, in Spanish, if I give a negative command, it has a different tense than if I give a positive command, for example. Or if I say, um, I, I wish that they would something, that other person, I now need to use a different tense than if I were to say, I wish I would. Um, those things are accepted without thinking. Subconsciously, they're accepted by people who've been hearing language from a young child as a young child. I also wanted to add one other thing to what you were saying earlier about adults speaking to their children and how that develops this vocabulary basis of, of sophisticated language. The same is true of the books that we read to our children. The, the research shows us that the more books you have at home, and these could be from the library, these could be from the dollar store, these could be thrift books. These could be hand-me-downs. There's no need to go out and buy brand new books. But the more books that you have in your home, the better your child's outcomes across a variety of, of abilities and areas are going to be. So the more we surround our children with, with words, with books, with language in whatever language, the more advantage that we're providing to them. And to answer your specific question about if they could be confused, to go back to that, no, 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 no. Again, no, they're not going to be confused because they accept that these are the way that languages work. And in fact, literacy skills transfer across languages. So a lot of times um, you'll hear people talk about, about biliteracy. And the truth is that if you're bilingual, and you are literate in one language, you're automatically biliterate. It, 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 it almost doesn't need a word because that literacy skills transfer across languages. And that's true across language types as well. So English and Spanish are both alphabetic languages. But Russian, for example, so I, I also speak Russian, and it is also an alphabetic language, but it has a different alphabet than we do. And when, as I was learning Russian, even as an adult learner, I was in college at the time, even as an adult learner, my literacy skills in English and Spanish transferred automatically to Russian. All they had to teach me was, here's the alphabet, this is how it works. I didn't have to go back and relearn all those all the, all the other literacy skills that, that go along with that, right? Like, how do I comprehend the text that I am reading? Um, how do I develop phonological awareness? None of those things, because those all transferred with me. So no, parents don't need to worry about confusing their children. They don't need to be worried about, am I going to set my child up? Is my child going to suffer when they get to school age and they have to, and they're only expected to to read and comprehend text in one language or the other, all of those skills 
transfer. Their brains are um, so amazing at everything that they're able to do subconsciously that we as adults go, man, that would confuse me, but it doesn't confuse them. Well, and I love that because what is confusing to us as an adult, what sometimes makes us scared of learning a second language, right, (laughs) actually isn't scary to kids. They don't have that fear that we might have as an adult. You know, when a child is acquiring a second language like that, you know, is it easier for them than when they're older? Is it the same? Like, can you expect them to make as much progress as what an adult might? What what can you expect during that time? I would say that until probably, and this age is a rough, rough estimate, but but most research shows us around seven or eight. Before then, you can expect a child learner to make more progress than what an adult learner would be able to make because all of the connections, their brains are growing at a rapid rate. In fact, the brain grows more in the first three, the, the connections amongst the brain grow more in the first three years of life than they ever will again. So the earlier you can start speaking to your child in a second language, the the more quickly proficient and the stronger their proficiency will be. I love that. And you know, one of the reasons why I love that is because I learned Spanish as an adult. I didn't learn it as a child. And some parents may be sitting here and going like, oh, everything that you're saying sounds awesome, but I don't currently know Spanish or Russian or whatever they're working on. Well, you know, I think it's neat to think about you know, this is the one thing in which your kid and your and you are on the same playing field, right? In fact, they may, may even have the home court advantage on this. And so you can learn with each other. And when I got started with my kids, we would just read books from the library and they may have not been pronounced perfectly in Spanish, but as I read, I learned with them and um, it made my reading to my kids much more exciting than when I everything was in English. You know, I still read English and Spanish books, but um, I love that I was really getting something out of this reading to them. Can you expand like what does reading look like with your daughter and how can parents, both with reading in English, but also other languages, how can they get the most out of that experience um, for them and their child? So another thing that the research shows us is that books are not written in the same language that we speak, even if they're written in English and we speak English or they're written in Spanish and we speak Spanish. They use what we call literary language. And so, for example, so the, the syntax, the word choice, they're all going to be more advanced than what would commonly be said in the kitchen or sitting in the living room. And so for any child of any language, the best, the single hands down, far and away best thing you can do for your child is to read to them because it is exposing them to all those rich language structures. That is true in any language and in both languages. So my child and I, we read mostly in Spanish, though we do read some in English as well. And some of the books that we have in English all self-translate into Spanish. And those translations are not always usually as beautiful as they would be if when it is a book that is originally published in Spanish or when a professional translator has translated them. But they are still meaningful language input experiences. So even if you are able 
to read one Spanish book with your child. And it's a beginning board book where it has the colors on each page. And it'll say rojo. And then it'll have some, some objects that are red. And it'll say amarillo. And then it'll have some objects that are yellow. That is hugely beneficial for your child. So I would say read with your child. Read with your child in both languages. And trust that what you are giving them is meaningful and beneficial and enjoyable. The other thing about reading is that it is a terrific bonding experience. Sometimes I have people say to me, well, my child's not old enough for me to read to them yet. Your child is old enough for you to read to them if they are in the womb still. That is still meaningful time. And another thing that various studies have shown us is that children know their parents' voices when in the womb. They recognize and respond particularly to the mother's voice because obviously the mother is with them 24-7 when they're in the womb. But anybody whose voice they've been around regularly, they already know your voice. So can we say that reading to your child in the womb is going to set them up for better successes than the child who wasn't read to in the womb? No, I don't think we can say that. But can we say that it's creating a bonding experience between you and your child and that they're hearing your voice more and they're hearing the patterns of language? Absolutely, I think we can say that. Um, the other thing that I would add about learning the language along with your child and I'm borrowing from a from a, a, a father, a second language learning father, who is married to, he's learning Spanish, and the wife is a native Spanish speaker. And he recently said, my language, my Spanish skills, they might be a three-year-old level, but my child is two. And so as long as my Spanish skills, even if they're at a three-year-old level, he, he and I were learning together and I'm still able to advance with him. And he's still looking at me with respect and love. He's not judging my language skills. He, he, we're learning together and I'm still providing meaningful input to him. And I just loved that perspective of it's okay that my levels are at the same as a three-year-old because we're learning together. I love that. Really, all you need to be is just one small step ahead of the person who you're teaching, right? Absolutely. And you know, we don't expect perfect pronunciation from our three-year-old or our four-year-old, even our six-year-old. Why do we expect ourselves to speak everything perfectly when we're first learning? It will come. The process comes. Now, obviously, you've learned a couple of different languages. Um, Tell me what you think the value of having connection with native speakers is in the language learning process. Absolutely. So um, you and I have talked about this before, but really language learning comes down to need times exposure. And so we've got to make sure that we have the exposure there. And so I can read books in Spanish all day long and provide exposure. I can narrate her day in Spanish and provide exposure. But if there's no need to communicate, then we're missing half of the half of the equation. And to me, that is the that is what the community drives. That I've got a real need, a real connection to to say something to this other person and to understand in return what they're saying to me. And for a child, that might be like, let's go play ball, right? Or it could, for an adult, it could be, tell me about what you're making for dinner, right? Any of these things that are true, honest need to speak. And that's what one of the things that I really love about the program is it creates, particularly in a time where we are all 
all over the world suffering from lack of connections and from isolation, that it's creating this connection across across people and a need for connection. Yeah, I love that. And you mentioned the Family Language Exchange Program. We're so grateful you've been a part of it. So tell me a little bit about your experience doing language exchanges with other families in the program. So our match family is in Spain and they have two little boys, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And my daughter is, is two. Um, and for them, for all of them, I think at three, two, and one, they don't understand yet quite how cool it is for me to say, come on, we've got to do all, go on the phone. Your friend from Spain is calling. Or for their family to say, come on, let's talk. Your friend from America is calling. But but I understand how cool that is. And they're going to understand soon how cool that is. And even, even at three, two, and one, where they don't really have the the attention span to engage for a long time through a screen, they are still hearing children speaking that other language. And they are still have a real purpose to say, what, you know, what doll are you playing with right now? What is that from? Tell me about that TV show that's on TV or whatever it might be. So you've still got that authentic exposure and that authentic need. So your family is Clarita from Spain. And tell me a little bit about her and her background and how how that connection with you and her have helped. It's been a wonderful connection. So I work at a university and she also works at a university. We're in very different fields, but we both understand um, and have the same experiences of working for universities with toddlers at home during a pandemic. Um, And so that's just been very nice to, and she spent some time in the United States and I've spent some time in Madrid where she lives. So it's, and neither one, I I can't speak for her. I don't, I don't think I can only speak for myself has been an extensive period of time, but small opportunities, small things that lead to big opportunities to form connections and to be able to even over, even over a screen to be able to see one another as as complete human beings, which in today's world is so important not to just see one another as a stereotype or something like that. And actually that did spark it. I was going to say some people also might worry about screen time with toddlers, but it is so interactive. It is a person there and they're talking and they're playing and they're showing their toys. It is not passive watching a screen play and you sit there and do nothing. So I would say concerns about screen time in terms of toddlers making connections around the world should not be a concern in my book. That it's very different than watching a TV show, for example. I love what you said about that because, um, you know, that's really one of the purposes behind us doing this is about having an authentic connection with someone. And people, if they do check into the program, that's why we have hands-on activities to help you learn together but that doesn't involve screens at all. So then when you do have that screen time, you're using that language. Now, obviously your daughter, because you speak to her so much in Spanish, you're not really needing to learn along with her, but for parents who aren't native in the language, it helps them learn with them. For you, it's just another fun hands-on thing to do with her. So that's awesome. So, you know, you brought up stereotypes, you brought up, um, you know, some things that 
I hope that we can change, particularly in the United States. What are your thoughts on, um, you know, people who may be living here who aren't native from here? What do you think learning a second language can do to be a help to those people, to be a bridge builder, like we call it? Oh, absolutely. There's nothing that brings me more joy than being able to see somebody who who has a need, whatever that need might be, right? They're struggling to fill out a form. They can't figure out the bus stop, whatever it might be. Because I've been that person in another country that couldn't figure out the form, even though I could, you know, conversational in the language. Forms are just so different. I've been the person that couldn't figure out the bus stop because the way transportation systems are so culturally specific, even though it that might seem strange to someone that hasn't been lost at a bus stop in another country. They're very culturally specific the way they work. Um, and so I love being able to go up and just say, even, even if the Spanish isn't perfect, say, hey, can I help you? I'll you know, do my best to figure this part out or at least to say to somebody or figure out a connection to help them to met, get that need met. I love that because, you know, like you said, you never know when it could change tables and you could be that person, right, who's struggling in that moment. So I love that. Now for you, what's like your future dreams and goals with, you know, Spanish for you and your daughter? Do you have a a bucket list of what you would like her to be able to do with the language? Oh, absolutely. So I would love for her eventually, I mean, she's only two, but eventually I'd love for her to be in a dual language immersion school where there are children who are native Spanish speakers who are learning English. And or she as, even though I would say that she is at for a two-year-old fairly balanced across them where we live in America, she's surrounded by English 24 seven. She's, I would still consider that her first language. So she's learning Spanish and they're there together, learning one another, bringing their own cultural traditions around the table to learn the content of K-12 schooling simultaneously. I would love to be able to travel with, I would love to be able to travel again one day. And this is being recorded during the pandemic. Um, I, but I would specifically love to be able to travel with her to Spanish speaking countries. So that way that she could, that, you know, I'm going to go back to that need times exposure. That way that, that full exposure is there as well as a need to communicate authentically with other people. I love that. I love that. Is there anything else that you want to add? I would add one more thing about language and literacy development that is true across languages. Many parents rush into letter sound knowledge. Do they know their ABCs and do they know the letter sounds? But the missing piece before that is, do they have phonological awareness? And people who have phonological awareness and and what phonological awareness is, it's the ability to manipulate the sounds of language. So it's the ability to go cat, bat, rat, pat. It's the ability to go um, cat, car, kim, cattle, right? They all have the same first sound, although one of them actually had a different first letter, but that's not mattering, right? Because it's the sound. It's the ability to just go helicopter and clap out the syllables. And the reason why phonological awareness is so, so important and must occur before you teach letter sounds is because without phonological awareness, when you go to tell your child that the C says K, 
if they don't have phonological awareness, there's nothing for them to hang their hat onto there. They're simply left set, go, thinking in their head. They're not, they're not going to say this, but in their head thinking, she says that C says cuh, but I don't hear cuh. I hear cat. And they're hearing, they're just able to hear the word as a whole. The other thing, this ability, this phonological awareness, we know that it transfers across languages, right? If you have this ability, it will transfer across languages and make it easier to develop other languages as well. But but what is coming out, it seems to be that if you have phonological awareness, it's easier for you to pick up a second language. I would say for all parents, monolingual, bilingual, trilingual, you've got to spend time before you start working on letter sounds on just playing with the sounds of language. And even more so, and it will transfer across language, but play with it in both languages if you are a bilingual or multilingual learner. Wow. So I've been a parent for the last 16 years. And that is the first time I've ever heard that. (laughs) I guess I've been putting like the cart before the horse this entire time. And so I love that. I'm actually really excited about talking to you more about that. And particularly of, you know, for us who are hoping for our kids to become bilingual, how we can incorporate that in both languages. This has been an amazing conversation, Rebecca. I can't even thank you enough for sharing your wisdoms, your your insight with us. Um, certainly, we look forward to seeing your daughter grow in her language um, to see how you're going to be a bridge builder by what you're doing through your um, your professional work. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, my friends, for joining us on the Building Bilingual Families podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. I produce videos every week, including this podcast. You don't want to miss out on an episode. And if you'd like to check out our family language exchange program, enrollment's going to be opening soon, but there are a limited number of spots. Apply at familylanguageexchange.com. We want your family to start speaking Spanish more and building bridges. That's familylanguageexchange.com or check out the links in the show notes.